This was now the only thing that much of the congregation knew about what had caused the commotion in the back. I had been playing the brass quintet, his bone, and all I knew was that it sure seemed to be taking the ushers a long time to take it off. And I had to somehow communicate with the rest of the quintet that we needed to play, and make this up, Oh Sacred Head, now wounded. Dale's eyes came back to life. His heart resumed beating, and the angel nurse stopped doing CPR. It wasn't long before Dale asked why he was on the floor, and those helping him needed to convince him to stay still that he did indeed need to go to the hospital. I stood to preach and then dismissed the children to go to the youth center for children's worship. Before they reached the doors, the ambulance arrived. Justin Frankino. <laughs> and Jeannie corralled the children to make their way for the paramedics with the pack over medical kits and oxygen bottles. And I can still remember the looks on those kids' faces. <laughs> I chose to pray for Dale again. Then, not quite sure what else to do, I started preaching. Right? I thought it was distracting my baby's crying. I did my best to keep everyone's attention, though the activity and voices from the back still drew many looks and questioning expressions. At about 10 minutes into the message, the ambulance was locked to the hospital. During the closing song, he, uh, Hamilton walked up to the front row where I was standing and gave me the report. He said, well, it's Resurrection Sunday. And then let me know that Dale had indeed been dead for a short time, but now he was alive again. I interrupted the song told the congregation to give me one more reason to praise God on Easter morning. I was going to say you can't write this stuff, but he did. So I don't know. Now listen, Easter morning is a lot of pressure. This is like, I was going to say, after Super Bowl. Right? I got to bring that baby. I got to bring it. I'm so jealous of this sermon illustration. He didn't let me preach, right? The guy's got to be back. And then, hallelujah, let's pass it up. So, so, uh, so do you have any volunteers this morning who just want to slump over at some point? That would really help me because I don't have any jealousy. In all reality, this amazing miracle of resurrection power is available to all of us this morning. Amen? That's what we're here to celebrate. When we look at that in Ephesians chapter 1, we hear the beautiful truth that you two know about this time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We're getting there. All right, so Ephesians 1 says he is risen. Then Ephesians 2 says this amazing truth along with it that we too are risen with Christ. It's not just that Jesus is alive, but that risen life is now available for each of us. This morning, we're going to look at this beautiful truth in Ephesians 2 together. We're going to see three things. Uh, number one, why he raised us up. Number two, where he raised us to. And finally, what he raised us for. And all the school teachers in the room just twitch a little bit because I am all of my <laughs> sentences in positions. Various people that I've ever done. So number one, who knows? Why he raised us up? Why did he raise us up? So two reasons you want to see. First of all, A, because of our problem, our sin, which is the problem. So to correctly understand the solution that you and I need this morning, we need to first correctly understand the problem that we're in the first place. So there are four things we want to look at here in the first three verses. The first one is that we were dead. We were dead. Now imagine, as Dale lay there, if the angel nurse had instead decided to play angel beautician, and she's backing up to Dale, who's in exactly the audience, she started painting his fingernails. Put some makeup on him, rudely matched the carpet, right? <laughs> now, we would ask, what are you doing, crazy angel lady? Right? He doesn't need a man Kenny, right? He needs breath, he needs life. We also have 
depth of our problem as well, so we have the correct solution. Paul says, once you were dead, you were dead. See, our problem is not just that we do a few things wrong. Well, I know I shouldn't look at pornography. I know I lose my cool every once in a while. I cheated on an algebra test back in junior high. Now, Jesus will just forgive a few of those things, and we're good. But listen, what we need is not just a spiritual man and penny. Maybe we should go to church a little bit more, get a little bit nicer stuff, look at those things and all that stuff. No, that's what rouge of course. Because the problem isn't just that we do a few immoral things. The problem is that we're dead. What can a corpse do? Nothing. You can't pay taxes. Right? You can't work. You can't help old ladies across the street. They are contributing nothing to society. We have to understand that we are born dead and we are unable to do anything pleasing to God. Not born physically dead. We are born spiritually dead. What does that mean? We have to pass it next. The next thing we see is we're disobedient. We're disobedient. This is once you're dead because, because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. The commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So, a slave, this is a slave language. A slave doesn't have free will. They have to do whatever their master says. And what Paul says here, is that Satan was our master. We had to obey him. That we were obeying Satan instead of God. And you might say, wait a second, right? You know, I never signed up to you, Satan. Who's talking about this? I never, I, never, I never said that I was going to follow him, right? But look at what Matthew 12 says. It says, anyone, Jesus says, anyone who is with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. He says this, there's no neutral ground. If you're not actively working for God, then you are actively working against Him as Satan is. You're for me or you're against me. See, here's the truth. God made the universe. He made everything. Therefore, it belongs to Him. He made you. He made me. We belong to Him. He's on the throne. Therefore, He's the one to be obeyed, want to be glorified, and worshipped in all things. So what was Satan's sin? Remember, he said, I'm going to sit on the throne and run my own universe. So what Satan wants to see from us is not that we say, yeah, Satan's on the throne. He just wants to make sure that we're living as though we ourselves are on the throne instead of our God. Now, ultimately, what we're, what we're saying here is, God, you're on the throne. I am. I'm not obeying you. I'm doing things my way. And I understand just how evil the heart of that is, what we're really communicating to God when we say that. Imagine a helpful illustration on this one. He said, imagine that someone comes into your house and looks at your family. If you hear that here today, he says, you know what? I believe that I can be a better husband to your wife than you. I'm going to say that. I can be a better father to your children. You're late here today. I can be a better spouse to your man. I can be a better mother to your children. You're dismissed. Now, what would you do in that moment? Is that just, oh, that's not very nice. No, it's over my dead body, right? You want to drop me like Dale Richards on that gym floor? You're not going to take it. You're going to take it sitting down. So when we come to God and say, I'm going to run your universe for you, this is this, this is that language. This is outright rebellion. This is team Satan stuff. Now again, you might say, I have never said that to God. Like, I'm just here to kind of do my own thing. Right? I'm not trying to run the universe. I'm not trying to sit on the throne. We have to understand that disobedience is not just doing up the bad things, lying, stealing, murdering. It's also not doing the things that God has said to do. But love your, he says, love me and your God with every fiber of your being, your, your mind, your heart, your soul, your strength. Because if all the people around you 
The people you like and don't like, the people who treat you well and don't love them. As yourself, we're going to love ourselves, right? Just love them that way. Give them, care about their needs as much as you care about your own. In all things, give me the glory, me the grace, me the thanks. If anybody doing that this morning, perfect. Good. See, what I'm saying here, and this isn't just one of the many ways you carry this truth out, is just a simple act and indifference. It wouldn't have to be outwardly shaking our fist at God. I'm, kind of like, I'm really just kind of doing life the way I want. And that really takes us to the third part here, that we desire selfishly. We desire selfishly. He says all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. See, disobedience is ultimately saying, I do what I want, not what God wants. C.S. Lewis is said about the optimist. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. So Jesus said to God, right? And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. This is all hell. She's those strong words. He says, without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No, no soul that seriously can constantly desire joy ever misses it. So here's what he's saying. We can, we will follow, we will always do what we want. He says, you can, if God, if you say, God, I want what you want. I want you, I want your way, he will give himself to us. But if we say, God, I want to do what I want, that would be an own island of selfishness and destruction. He gives us what we want. Which is why we need these new wants, new desires. We need a brand new heart where those desires come from, a new life. And the result of all this is that we're doing it. We're doing it. This is verse 3. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. This is God's righteous anger. This isn't out of control, uh, incredible Hulk stuff. It's just, I don't want to out of control, crazy man. This is righteous judgment toward our rebellion. This is God's justice. So when Adam and Eve were sitting there in the garden, they said, we know that. He said, so if you would have said that to that perpetrator in your home, it would be the better spouse and parent than you. He said, get out. That's what happened in the garden. That's actually what death is. Death means separation. We were separated from God. Adam and Eve went out of the garden, out of a relationship with him. That is the desperate state that you and I are in. It's not just that we need forgiven for a few bad things that we've done. It's not just that we need to do things different. We actually need to become something different. We are born in complete bondage to our old master. We can only do what he says. So we need to be rescued if you have a new heart. Oh, our, 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 our hearts were born in sin with our, rebel, our rebellious toward our maker. That we need to complete his desires. But we need to be born again. We need a new nature. We don't need rehabilitation. Brothers and sisters, we need a resurrection. We need to reconnect with God for life. We need him for the gifts. You and I were dead on the floor. And here in the gym. Helpless and hopeless. We were rebels, given to our own desires, rightly under God's judgment. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. All right, my pastels. Blew my kids' hair to scroll in the gel.
He raised us up because of our sin, but also because of his love. Here's what God's motivating factor. In verse 4, it says, but God. That is the most important but in the world. I'm going to leave that right there. I don't want to get in trouble. No, I'm going to get in trouble. So three things we see. Let's look at who God is and how he responded to the rebel humans. First of all, it says, each other's. But God, who is so rich in mercy, this word mercy means a kindness or, or goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted, joined the desire to help them. So God didn't look at us when we were dead and disobedient and desiring ourselves or him and doomed and just said, well, we want all that. Or I hate you. And we need that to be good riddance. Or we need to be saying, dude, we wake up. No, our separation breaks us apart. If you're a parent, think about your child. I've often heard that it's said that watching your children is like seeing your heart burst out of its rib cage when you're walking around in front of you. And if they're hurting, if you're hurting, if they're in trouble, if they're pushing away, crushing you, then you would move heaven and earth to see your child well again. This is the same way that God looks at us. His mercy is both showing compassion, that's the emotional side, and it's help that he's moved to action by that compassion. See, one without the other is meaningless. We can have all sorts of compassion towards someone, but be unwilling to help them. We can also help somebody, but the whole time they're like, here, just take it. We don't rush care about them. We're just doing as we know we have to. And here we have a God who has both the compassion and the ability. He wasn't just like, oh, fine, here's Jesus, but I don't want to talk to you. Nor is he unable to help. So look at this. This same God who has wrath toward our sin has rich mercy toward the sinner. He's rich in love, but then also, or he's rich, he's rich in mercy, but also love. He says he loved us. He's so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. My, my working definition of love is this. Love wants and does what is best for the other. It wants and does what is best for the other. So God, who is love, he wants what's best for us, which is what? The best thing for us is to know God, is to worship God, is to be with God. And so he wants to give us himself. And not just that he gives us himself, he wants to. Not just he's contractually obligated. The important truth that we need to understand is that God is self-sufficient. God doesn't need anything. He didn't create us out of this lonely, you know, vacuum of soul. It's like, oh, if I only have some people who pump me up. So I'm going to make this little fan club here on earth. I'm going to create this little worship band. Blessed be my name. I love the sound of that, right? That's not why you put us on this planet. He created us because he is by nature love. God did not create us to take from us. Our God created so that he could give it to us. Give to us the abundance of himself and his good gifts here on earth. We are recipients of that love. He wants and does what's best for us. And finally, his grace. He says that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life and he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that we have been saved. Amen? Grace means a good will or favor. And none of us deserve it. Right? As naturally disobedient children of wrath, all we deserve is that divine judgment. Right? Any other than a wrath sandwich is grace from our God. And Dallas Willard defines grace this way. Yeah. He says grace is God acting in our life to do what we cannot do on our own. 
It's God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Grace is what we live by, and the human system won't work without it. Without his grace, we grew up a creek. The saint uses grace at 747 jet burns gas on takeoff. He's running anywhere but by the grace of God. They can understand this. In this room today, there's no one that's too good for his grace. You might be better than your neighbor, but all of us, even playing but all of us, rebels, we desire our own way to by our own way of sin. But we also hear this morning that there's no one who's too bad for his grace. So, so, so maybe you have something today that, that you think would throw God off. But I didn't know you could that. I didn't realize you that. My grace is going to keep that. But we understand we have abundant grace in our gods to see that no one's too good that doesn't need it, and they're going too bad that they can't rescue. See, Dale lay there, lifeless on the floor, completely unable to help himself. He couldn't grab it for the way it was So, he completely unable to help himself. I mean, because Angel made he was so rich in mercy, and not just her, but Bill and Tim and Randy and whatever that his Bob was supposed to be helping with. Uh, listen, he wanted, they all wanted him out there. They loved him. They weren't just like, eh, whatever, let me be there, right? That's the best. We're already in the church, and I'm going to move on to funeral, right? That was not their heart toward Dale. Not only did they care about him, but they were able, these were qualified people with medical skills that were able to bring Dale back to life. They wanted to, and they were able to. So as you and I lay lifeless on the floor, we couldn't even apply holiness to make that. The, the, we couldn't even we resuscitate ourselves. We couldn't ascend the mountain in God's presence. You can't waltz in there. His angel bounces are already letting us get the door, right? Remember, remember the cherubim, the flaming sword in the garden? We're not accessing God in His holiness on our own. But because He's so rich in mercy and love and grace, He says, it is only by that grace that we can save. That is where we put all. Why would we raise that? Because of our sin, because of his love. Then we look at the second one. Where did he raise us to? Where did he raise us to? Now, what I love here in the first two chapters of Ephesians, two very important questions for us to answer. The first question is where is Christ? Where is Christ? And right now, you know about that? He rose from the dead. He ascended. And where is he now? Well, he tells us in Ephesians 1. God's power raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So, what we're celebrating today is Jesus. Jesus rose from the grave after he had died for our sins. Then he ascended into the right into the presence of God, and right now is, has the best seat in the house next to the Father. Seated in his right hand to receive for us. That's where Jesus is right this morning. Right this morning, he said. But where are we? The second big question, Ephesians 2. Where are we? That's where Christ is. Where are we? This is so amazing. Verse 6. It's where he raised us from the dead along with and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Do you see that? Where is Jesus? The right hand of God. And where does he say we are right now? We were dead in our sins, but he gave us the very life of Jesus, resurrected us from the grave. And not only that, seated us at the right hand, sitting there with Jesus right this moment. It's amazing. And I say, well, physically, we're in Jesus' love, and we're talking about spiritual union. That is a mystery we cannot fully understand. But that is the truest thing about us. Why is this true? This is because we are united with 
Jesus. There is no sweeter truth to proclaim. That the believer is forever unified, made one with the person of Jesus Christ. This is identity, which means what's true of Christ is true of those who are in Christ. So when we talk about identity, we're asking the question, who am I? Who am I? So if I was asking, who are you? What would be the first couple things that would come to your head? Who are you? How would I identify myself? If you were to ask me, I was like, well, I'm just a boyfriend, you know, I'm a son of Carmen Swap, husband's to Joe. I am a pastor, I am five foot nine, and a half. <laughs> also, people always throw a little bit in the end of I weigh 191 pounds. None of your business. I'm an Italian. I love sour patch kids, and I hate olives. <laughs> I swear they can't be saved. But that's all true. Those are all true things. But the truest thing about me is none of those things. The truest thing about me is who I am in Christ. That my identity is forever united with His. So I've got this little clicker that I use every week. I don't know if you thought the power of the Jesus magic by itself. No, no. this little thing right here. And inside of it is battery. Now this battery was placed into the clicker. And therefore, wherever the clicker is, there also is the battery. If the clicker's up high, the battery's up high. If the clicker's in my pocket, where's the battery? In your pocket. Yeah, all the batteries. If I put the clicker in the oven, right, the battery's out of hell. <laughs> so what we see is because the battery's placed in the clicker, whatever's true of the clicker, wherever its state is, there also is the battery. You and I were placed into Christ. And so that means that whatever is true of Christ is now also true of me. My identity is his. And I can encourage you with better use of your time to spend, spend, spend 30 minutes in his first half of Ephesians chapter 1 understanding the specific things that we have in Christ. Because everything Christ has, we now have in him. So is, is, is God Jesus' Father? He is. He's our Father too. Is Jesus forever securely loved by that Father? You and I, in Christ, are forever loved in the Father. And Jesus, we, if Jesus, blameless and holy, he's never sinned, right? He's always been right in God's eyes. And now you might be in Christ, are blameless and holy in his sight. Not because we've never done anything wrong, because we're in his righteousness. Is Christ free from sin? Is he victorious over Satan and death forever? And brothers and sisters in Christ, we are as well. <laughs> And all that is God's Ephesians 1 says now belongs to Jesus. The universe, heaven and earth, is Jesus' inheritance. And guess what? Us too. Since all those things are yours in Christ. And Jesus received that new and resurrected body that was walking through doors and eating fish. All the last and said, Amen, we're going to eat fish tonight, right? We too look forward to the day when we receive a new resurrection body. Jesus is secure in spot of love in Christ. Battery is what the clicker is. So we are accepted in the love as much as Jesus is, and we are significant. That God loved His only Son. Listen, He doesn't have a greater treasure than His only begotten Son. He loves Him more than anything. Guess what now? In Christ, we too are the apple of His eye for all eternity. That's something to celebrate. Now, we know. This is the truth that we have to hold on to because Satan, our old master, he's a little bitter. 
he whispers his lies. He's not that man. He's, he's still trying to get us. He doesn't have any power over sitting on Christ. But what he'll do is try to whisper his little lies. You know, God, you're getting in the church enough. Kind of, you know, you're helpful. You're way better than anybody. You're like that. Or the other whispers that we hear is you're too bad. Like everybody, he might do what you really do, what's really going on in your mind, no one else is looking. Like you really brought that to the surface, there's no way that the grace of God came for that. The reality is that we get a top statement about now and say that's a lie. That's a lie. This is who I am in Christ now. For the Bible tells me so. Now, there are some, this is a beautiful truth, we need to believe. In the back on the welcome table back there, um, we have some of these little bookmarks, things taken in Bible word, and just a litany of truths and the specific scriptures that tie to that of who we are in Christ. And we invite you to grab one of those and, and meditate on those truths. This is our spiritual army, our armor. Declare who we are in Christ and fight the lies of the enemy with the truth. Finally, what he raised us for. What he raised us for? Two things. The first one is for the glory of his grace. Why did he raise us? The glory of his grace. Verse 7. So, there's the reason. So, God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. So, what he's saying here is so when Dale was brought back to life, he wasn't boasting. Yes, he brought himself back from the dead. Mystery resurrection. <laughs> Signing on that Passed that up. It's out in the service. I'll be here all tomorrow. No, no, it's thank you. Thank you to those who gave to me what I could never get myself. My life back. And this is what he says in us in Christ. That we are boasting of what he's done. In verse 8, that's why it says, God saved you by his grace when you believe. It's just faith. Nothing that we've done. And you can't take credit for this. It is a free gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for good things you've done. It's good. Unless we got it So none of us can boast about it. This means that we do boast. But not what we do, but what he's done. His finished work. You want to know how incredible God is? He saved a wretch like me. I still won't let me say anything about it. Listen, some people will say, I don't have a good testimony. Like, I don't, I don't, I've heard some of the great testimonies that I lived a life, I used to be in a biker game, and then I OD, and I was laying there on the hospital bed, and the angel Gabriel himself said, Come here! And I got sick, I slowed up the bed, and now I've been a missionary in Africa for the last three decades, right? That's a testimony. I don't have a testimony. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You were dead, and now you're alive. I don't care if you grew up in church in Scotland, flannel graph. Jesus Christ. You were a slave to sin, and now you are free, right? We're Jesus zombies walking around. That's something to tell. I'm not sitting, I'm sitting at God's right hand now with Jesus, and I inherited the universe. If that's not an amazing testimony, I can't help you. There are trophies of grace boasting in our great Savior. He saved us the glory of his grace, what God has done in us. And then the second thing is for good works. For good works. So Dale wasn't saved, and then he left him on the floor. No, he left him on that. He left him back. Right? No, he needed more help. Right? He needed to speak. He needed to get to the hospital. And he was brought back to life. And Dale even said his own testimony. I knew God had something more for me. More life to live. It wasn't, obviously, it wasn't done with me yet. 
He's 80 years old at that time. He lived for four more years. Four more years. Until he was 84, he died physically again. He spiritually raised Christ. Now, when we say, it's not just sweet, I don't have to go to heaven like that. Then we've got to down, I go to church every once in a while, I tithe, maybe, and then, and then when we get to heaven, we're going to be a plump, precious, moments angel baby, playing on the heart, Chris Holmes songs forever, and ever, forever, God, and stay plump, and I'm literally going to grow it. That doesn't sound fun. I don't know you. That doesn't sound like a good time to me. He saved us for so much more than that, and it starts today. Eternal life is today with Jesus. He says in verse 10, we are, not just really, we are right now God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do, here's why, there's another reason why he saved us, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, I love this. We are his masterpiece. And the Greek word here is poema. What does that sound This is where we get our word poem. It says, you and I are God's poem. A beautiful masterpiece. We're a poem. And we're, we're not just see Jane run. Right? C.J. Run out of that very beautiful we get It is we are a Shakespearean song. We are a beautiful poem, not because of who we are, because of what we do in and through us. We are a masterpiece. Not your three-year-old's Picasso on the fridge. It's much of the show that's great. God is, we are the masterpiece that God is working in and, and through. And our mission is to show the world how beautiful our Savior is by proclaiming that gospel and by living it out. We're called to work. We're called to, to worship. We're, we are called to create. And then we, as we do that as his poem, we're loving people. We're kind to others. We're gentle. We're merciful toward those around us. We're showing the world how beautiful our Savior is. And we do that. We used to be slaves of sin. We had to do what Satan told us. But Christ has freed us. And now we're not autonomous. We're following Jesus. We're doing what he says. Because he's given us a new set of desires so that we can obey him. And this is life. This is life right now. Okay, we'll teach us in Christ. And I love what he says here last night. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. Notice he didn't say I. If we love this snowflake generation, right? You be you. There's a deeper truth here that it's actually us together that are the masterpiece of Jesus. I love that story where Pastor Dan gives so many names of the people who are here and involved in Dale's resurrection story. And it was the beauty of the body. Everybody using their gifts and talents and abilities to come together to praise God as they love each other. And this is what, as we are his poem, when the, it's only when the body comes together and loves each other, forgives each other, is unified, that's the way we're going to show the world that God loved them enough to send Jesus in their place. So we actually can have some resurrections on Sunday. And greater than Jesus. You see, they have to die again before we had Jesus. Spiritually, we can have eternal life right now. So I'm going to pray, and, and, and if that's you, maybe, maybe this is your own. And don't let it pass. Come and talk to me. I'm going to be up saying, come grab me. And, and, and we have a conversation. I want, I want to see some, a few more resolutions this morning. If nothing else, I'm just concerned about church. So just be a good question. Uh, we, I would stand with you as we pray. And just to be safe, you see someone slumping over next to you. You see someone say something. Okay, good. Would you pray with me? Father God, we recognize that our state without Jesus was one where we were dead in our sins, unable to do anything to please you. That we were doomed because of our disobedient hearts. Because we didn't believe what, not what we wanted. 
Father, you've declared in there already, we have a rescuer. You so love the world that you gave us the one that you treasured more than anyone else so that you could raise with him a whole family of siblings to adopt as your children, to raise up a Christ and be seated next to you now and forever. Father, I pray that anybody hears you not in the Lord of hearts this morning, they might respond, they might take that step, and when you call their name, they would run out of the grave and finally know, and know many brothers and sisters here feel the bondage to sin, they feel like there's no way out, and they believe the lie, and they're going to tell somebody, and they're going to confess it to you or anyone else, that they're going to be met with judgment, raise eyebrows, uh, are they away from me? Father, we know the truth is that we must confess truly who we are apart from you and then cry out to the Savior God who saved us by his grace, not because we deserve it. Some come out of the grave this morning. And those of us who are already united in Christ, and we're, we're going back. Maybe some of us have been going back to our old nature. We've been putting those ratty jail clothes on. We've been scribbling marks on the wall. We've been eating stale bread. We've been eating like we're still a slave of that stuff. But that today we would learn what it is to, to receive that grace and walk in the mansion as your children called us so much better. Called in life to freedom from those things so that we can worship you and we can talk and act and live for the freedom and joy available for each of us today in Christ Jesus. You love us so rich in mercy and grace that we set Jesus. Death was arrested, and we ran out of that grave in the risen name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.